Welcome to The Sovereign CEO, a podcast where we explore what it really means to become powerful beyond measure. Expect to hear incredible stories about possibility, creativity, business, self-mastery, and of course, the great awakening. I'm here to be your hype girl, to give you strategic tools that help you win, and to shed a light on things that you really need to know. Let's work on mastering your mindset and mastering your mission so you can build an empire, live a purpose-driven life, and create more freedom within it, no matter what the world around you is doing. Hey guys, welcome to the show. I have Tanner Nade with me today. I heard Tanner on Sean Newman's podcast a whole bunch of times, and I absolutely love what he has to say. Now, a forewarning for those of you that are not into this, totally fine, I am into this. Tanner Nade is a Christian economist who knows the Bible inside and out. This man is wild. He can, I I swear he's got the entire Bible memorized. He can pull almost any verse out with its location. It's absolutely astounding. But I love how he breaks down the Bible in a way that you can actually understand it, how you can apply it to what's going on right now. And that's what he does really well. He applies it to what's happening um, with Trudeau with the economy, with this global geopolitical shift that we're all experiencing. And he does it with a lot of just grace and understanding. Um, So know that this podcast will have heavy undertones of Christianity and the Bible. Um, I hope you're open-minded to it. If not, totally fine. I I am a Christian. I will continue to put out this content as well as all kinds of other content. But the reason I really wanted to bring him on, well, one for me, I've been dying to talk to Tanner forever. Um, But also, I know a lot of you are very interested in this right now because you tell me, you send me DMs, you send me emails. Um, It's potentially another layer again of this, of this great awakening. So if you're into this stuff, I think you're really going to like it. Um, So Tanner is a lay theologian. He's a Christian economist, uh, author, speaker. He's got a lot of good things to say. So whether you're religious or not, I think you're going to get a lot out of this podcast. Before we get into the show, I have to pay the bills. This episode is brought to you by The Sovereign CEO. This is my group coaching membership for self and business mastery. It's for awake, freedom-minded businesses who know they need to start building additional streams of revenue. It's for those that want to get into the digital space, those who want to refine their brand, their content creation process, so they can create a purposeful life and make more money along the way. Our second sponsor is TWC because I believe in all things freedom and TWC unapologetically stands up for medical freedom. Big fan of the products, big fan of the company and what they're trying to do here in Canada. 
You can find the link in the show notes. And last but not least, your other way to be free is by protecting your money with silver and gold. Send me an email to my email address. Link is in the show notes again with the subject line gold. And I will help you get started with the exact same system that I use. I've been doing this for a while. I have looked into crypto. I have bought gold and silver from a physical store. I have done all sorts of things to protect my money right now. And I'm obsessed with the system I found because they can do all kinds of things that the physical store just can't, like liquidation at the press of a button, options for people that want to travel and live in multiple countries. You can also uh, get paid to share about the company if that's your thing. There are so many ways here to increase your money, protect your money, and the company guys, super awake. They know everything that's going on. I think you're going to be pretty surprised at who is actually getting on board with the system. Lots of big names out there in the freedom community, lots of freedom-loving Americans, lots of my friends in the spiritual community. We're all jumping on board because um, it's really smart, it's really practical, and it's a good thing to do with your cash right now. So all of that information is in the show notes. Uh, feel free to hit me up on Instagram. You can always send me a DM too if you're having trouble finding something or you want to connect. I'm pretty active in there. And um, yeah, I think that's it. That's all. Let's get into the show. No more ads. You guys have things to do, places to go. So let's get into this week's episode with Tanner Naday. All right, everyone, welcome to the Sovereign CEO podcast. I have with me today, Tanner Naday. Tanner, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited. <laughs> I've been listening to you for a while. I'm good friends with Sean Newman, and we were just talking about that behind the scenes a little. You, you've been on Sean's podcast a few times now, which is a really good sign because Sean brings back people that are requested so a lot of people must be asking to have you back on the show um for people that don't know you uh tanner is a lay theologian he's a christian economist uh he's a speaker and an author um tanner anything that you'd like to add to that for people that maybe aren't familiar with your work uh no that's a good it's a good breakdown classically i'm a trained economist it's true i got my degree from the university of calgary and after I graduated, all of the lockdowns started. So, of course, everyone was looking for jobs and people were trying to understand what was happening. Thus, in that time, I started my own website and my social media pages and so on, where I uh, turned into a pseudo political commentator. And I talk about the issues of the day. I'm still doing that in the present. I use my uh, um, what I learned in economics and what I believe about Christianity and in Christianity to try and apply those principles to the uh, generous topics that our leaders give us to talk about and try and explain them. And so from that has blossomed a variety of different opportunities. Right now I'm traveling across the province, across Alberta, speaking about this proposed pension plan. We go to numerous town halls. We have 100 plus town halls booked or events booked to talk about the um, the pros and the possible cons of a pension plan. And, and yeah, it's been so much fun. It's been so much fun to see the province. It's been so much fun to um, talk about what's happening in the world and, and the Lord's blessing it. It continues to grow. Hmm. People might be curious why um, I, I was seeking out specifically a, a Christian economist, but 
in like this great awakening period um there there's this interesting trajectory of awakening it starts off with health people realizing that oh the things that i thought were healthy actually aren't healthy so it starts with the body it starts with food it starts with pharmaceuticals then people start looking at what's happening politically then it starts going a little deeper to like this bigger like geopolitical shift um then it inevitably ends up at a spiritual war and i got baptized just this year and so many people in these circles um they're all starting to not only care about spirituality but christianity in particular um on the flip side there's also this war that is building against Christians specifically. So I'm seeing on one hand, so many people start talking about God and Christianity, like it's normal and it's good and people are going back to church. Um, but also like, yeah, this this war on the other side that that's building. Yes, absolutely. Christ says I'm Alpha and Omega. We, we, we read that often in the scriptures, first and last, right? Um, beginning and end. Paul says he's the firstborn over all creation. He has supremacy in all things. And so man isn't truly awake, so to say, until he's a Christian, until he comes to accept Christ as truth, precisely because Christ is the truth. It's what he says right in John 14, 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. And so we can see truths in the world, you know, as you mentioned, with regards to health, with regards to what's happening with our government, with regards to a variety of different um, facts about this world. But the foundational truth, the beginning of truth, truth itself, and the end of truth is Christ. It's Jesus. It's a man, right? It's not some abstract concept. It's not some abstract ideal. Instead, it's, it's the Lord Jesus. It's a man himself. And so you are seeing more people, at least at the very least, become interested in Christianity. Because as these souls search for truth, right, as they earnestly search for truth they will end up at christ because christ is the truth now on the other side as you mentioned the truth of christ is exclusive it doesn't tolerate any other truths which which disagree with him that's the definition of truth or part of it right there a man might believe a variety of different things that do not harmonize with the truth of scripture with the truth of christ himself and so there is uh, disharmony there. There's a point of contention. And that's to be expected. That's not an unexpected thing. Christ said, you know, in this world, this is actually Paul speaking, but he says, you know, expect to be to be persecuted as a Christian, expect to be hated, expect to be um, ridiculed and called a variety of different slanders and slangs for your position, your belief in Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Tucker Carlson spoke about that. I was really happy to hear him mention that at the event, that there is a war on Christians, that mm -hmm. 90 plus churches have been burnt down, and there's not a, a word from the federal government about that. It's almost encouraged by our government. And we're in this weird upside down world. I mean, it started with postmodernism, where there actually is no absolute truth. It's my truth and your truth. And that's really, uh, that idea is really freeing to people. And I think that's why it's really alluring. But I, I don't know if you know my background at all. Like I had a yoga studio. Um, I grew up as a Christian, wanted nothing to do with it as an adult, like partied a lot, did all sorts of things. <laughs> explored Eastern wisdom, um, 
received a lot of benefit from it. Um, you know, meditation, I, I studied yogic teachings. Um, it, it was a helpful path for me. I will say that um, I learned a lot of good tools for regulating my emotions, for taking care of my health. But while I was doing these things, you know, I, I was serving my community and I was helping all sorts of disadvantaged groups during this time. There was a lot of good during this time period, but also I was very depressed mm-hmm. and I was very anxious. And a lot of my teachers, uh, all of them, also had this level of depression or angst, this darkness. And this whole time they were preaching that this is the way and this is the light. And, um, but meanwhile, they were actually suffering. Um, So it was being painted as one way, yet they were suffering. And maybe that's not everyone's experience, but I know it it was my experience. And a lot of the people that I followed, um, that is their experience as well. So I don't, I don't think it's necessarily bad per se. I just actually think it's nothing. That's what I've kind of come to personally. Um, I think it's just nothing. I think it's mm. a band-aid fix for our problems. Um, yeah. And I heard you say something interesting on, on Sean's podcast, which I totally agree with. People think that things that are evil are the big scary monster in the room, but that's not what evil is. Evil is alluring. It looks very, very close to what the light is, but um, yeah, it's the snake, it's the serpent, it's um, it's seductive, it's beautiful, it's come this way, you will be free. And I think the only way we can actually judge those things are what, it, okay, but what are the fruits? What are, and, and even within the Christian community it might be the same, like you can have pastors and speakers that are leading you astray you have to look at well where does that where do you end up at the end of those teachings absolutely so paul talks about this extensively in the book of colossians particularly in colossians 2 where he says mankind has so many different rituals and so many different exercises and uh, they think it makes them you know uh sanctified spiritual because well it requires a lot of body bodily discipline and maybe you know you go on a long fast or you do uh, exotic different rituals and so we say well we're spiritual this is leading me closer to spirituality i'm at one i'm at peace with myself but then paul says again this is colossians 2 20 to 23 that is, he goes that's utter nonsense he says all of those things although they seem pious and although it seems like they might help a man in his spiritual walk they actually do nothing to rid the body of spirit of his evil desires. They do nothing to cleanse a man's heart from sin, from what he does wrong. It does nothing to forgive him of his sins. Instead, it just leads him into this abstract spirituality, which does nothing, absolutely nothing, to save him. So, for example, with the practice of yoga, of course, that's the practice of, of, of Hinduism. This is from the yogis in, in India. And, and Christianity can't tolerate it, right? I did a, I did a post on this, how our, we're instructed to worship Christ in a specific way. The Ten Commandments are very clear, and we're not to do it uh, using different rituals. It's impossible to do so. And so after I did this post, I made this post, I was met with very many uh, comments that were opposing me from Christians, saying how I've completely misunderstood or uh, am judging or who knows what it might be those Christians mm-hmm. who are 
practicing yoga. But the scriptures are very clear in this matter, right? They're exceptionally clear. We're not to engage in the practice of, you know, Eastern mysticism or other other religions in a desire to be nearer to Almighty God. It doesn't work like that. Instead, our mediator, says Paul in, in Timothy, is Christ. It's only one man. It's through Christ. And, and we don't have to practice these rituals to come to him. And so I think you're quite right, where we read about all of this spirituality and so on. But the truth of, of those of those practices are still very dark. You're right. I think very many people are still um, in positions that are very dark. They may be searching for truth, absolutely. I have no doubt they're probably searching for peace, but that only comes through Christ. There's no other, there's no other mediator between God and man. There's no other savior. There's no other name by which we must be saved, says the Acts, except through Christ. Well, I will be honest, I still do do the physical practice, but it is it's very secular to me. I've I've mm. tried stopping, my my body mm. falls apart. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, yeah, um, sure. And this is actually confusing to me because I think um I think God knows that he needs to be creative in the way that he reaches people. So mm. like my journey through this actually was my way to him. Like it started off with me just learning how to take better care of myself, becoming more self-aware, being interested in spirituality. Mm-hmm. Now, eventually it did lead to him. And I started peeling away from everything that really wasn't him. Um, God knew he needed to be creative with me because he knew I was stubborn. Uh, he knew that I never, I never would have just gone to church and then just accepted that. That was never gonna be my way. In the same way, the spouse that he chose for me, God knew I was never going to choose a nice Christian boy when I was 18 and get married and that be the end of it. So my husband also wanted nothing to do with it as an adult. And Mm -hmm. we partied and we traveled the world and we did all these very non-Christian things, but now have come full circle back to our roots growing together. So I think sometimes there is an open-mindedness needed um because he needs to reach people and he'll reach people however he needs to it just might not be so direct but it's more dangerous the way that i did it too because it's easily yeah you can you can get knocked off course my route as well right okay so that's now that's a good point let's suppose um hmm let's suppose that a man engages in hitting this is you know this is, this is just an example here let's suppose he engages in hitting his head against the wall a hundred times every day hurting himself this is because you know there were there were and there probably still are for that matter right uh spiritualists who believe in pain to to um draw nearer to almighty right to draw nearer to the divine so they hurt themselves to try and purify themselves at any rate suppose a man hits his head on the wall a hundred times a day because he believes it draws him nearer to god Mm-hmm. do we think he should continue to do so? Suppose that he has a revelation, you know, that uh, Christ is Lord. Should he continue after he has this revelation to continue um, hitting his head against the wall? I don't know. Like I'm bringing to mind people that do drugs to get right. close to God. They do, yep. I, they do ayahuasca. They do um, hallucinogenic drugs. Yes. 
like, well, through this, I found God. Right. So they keep doing it. Okay. Yeah. Um, right. Did they find Christ? Because if they find, here's, so if a man finds Christ or Christ mm -hmm. finds him is more accurate, the shepherd finds the lost sheep, not the vice versa. Suppose that Christ finds him even in the midst of man's sin, because that's often, well, that is the case. All of us are sinners. Mm -hmm. Having then been found by Christ and having then believed in Christ to be our savior, should we continue in those old practices, which were not commands of Christ? What does Paul say? Paul goes in Romans 6, 7, and 8. He says, well, he's dealing with um, these questions where he had uh, people saying, well, if Christ saves a man by grace, which he does, right? It's not by our works that we're saved. It's not by our works that we become Christians. Instead, it's by the grace of God. It's a gift of salvation. Because grace is a gift, and because we're saved after we've believed in Christ, even if we continue to sin, right? Even if we still do bad things, because we will as sinners in this world, should we therefore do whatever we feel like, whatever we want, whatever we, whatever we believe draws us nearer to Almighty, even if it's not commanded, right? Because at the end of the day, it shouldn't particularly matter because we've been saved by grace. So even if we're doing something wrong, it's, you know, in the eyes of God, it's okay because we've been saved. Paul deals with this question. And he mm -hmm. says, of course not. He says, Christ has freed you from all of those things. So why would you continue to engage in them? He would say, or he not would say, he does say in Romans 6, 1 to 12, Paul says, Christ has come down to earth. He died on the cross. He was raised from the dead so that you and I might be freed from those old practices, those old beliefs, those old sins that we used to engage in and now have come near to Christ. It's through Christ that we're saved. And so there's no reason to continue engaging in the mm -hmm. old practices, in the old ways of um, your attempted spirituality, because Christ has set you freed from them. He's in your heart now. He lives in you now. And there's nothing you can do physically that, you know, such as hurting yourself in this instance, right? Try to make yourself more pure, right? It's through Christ. It's only through Christ that we draw near. So we must be very careful then by saying, um, I draw close to God through uh, what actions work for me. That isn't a scriptural command, right? The scripture instead says it's through the Lord Jesus and only through the Lord Jesus that we draw near to Almighty. And so, and how does that happen? Well, of course, Paul says in Romans 10, right? In Romans 5 and so on, that we simply must call on the name of the Lord and so be saved, right? It's a belief in the Lord Jesus. Paul says we know by faith, we live by faith, not by sight, not by all of these practices, but rather just by a simple, direct, absolute belief in Christ. That's how we draw near to, to God, precisely because he is God. Mm -hmm. I, I think if you're really paying attention to, and I can only share my experience, you know, when people mm -hmm. have asked me who are still in um, like the old communities, um, like, do I still do these things? Um, it, the hardest thing for people to grasp is, I think it's actually really, really hard to be a Christian because it requires submission. And yes. that's something that people don't really like. So if yeah. you really listen, um, you'll have something deep inside of you say, this is what you need to be doing. And you have a choice whether to submit to it or not. So <laughs> more and more, and I'm still growing in this more and more. I just, um, I don't like, it's clear to me. I just don't need certain things anymore. 
Um, and I'm much, much happier for it when I do choose these things. So my, my baptism, for example, mm -hmm. I knew it was the right thing to do deep down at my core. It's what I was mm -hmm. being called to do. Mm -hmm. Um, but the resistance that I felt at that time was out of this world. And I remember before I did it, I got baptized in the lake. Um, this man told me now that you've chosen to do this, like this resistance in you will build and like the devil's coming after you harder than ever. On the day that I got baptized, I felt like a 14 year old girl filled with rage and anger. Yet I knew deep down inside, this is what I need to do. And when I was up giving my testimony, which I shared with everyone that I'm a pursuer of truth. And when you, if you mm -hmm. follow truth long enough, eventually it leads you to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And it's an awakening to the darkness of the world that you actually mm -hmm. awaken to this. But I was crying and people thought I was crying because it was a beautiful moment for me. It was actually rage, resistance, something outside of me. Like there was no reason for it. There was no reason for me to be feeling that way. It was just bubbling up in me. And when I went under the water, that just all went away. Like, and it was this huge aha. I'm like, this is when they talk about like the the path being narrow. I'm like, this is why there's, I, I thought it was going to be much easier that you would make this decision one day and everything would be easy and the skies would open up and you would just like, everything would just be easy. It's, it's not actually, you're challenged more than ever once you choose yes. this path. And that's what people don't really realize. And that's what I think also scares people away. Yes, precisely. Um, the body is sinful and it wants to rule. That's the nature of man. It wants to be supreme. You know, it's this, I am God and I will do what I will. I want to do this. I want to do that. And so I'm going to do it. It's that's the, that's the foundation of postmodernism, right? It's my truth. Like you mentioned at the start, it's what I believe, you know, my truth is supreme. Your truth might be wrong, right? You might think that you can build a house with studs that are 48 inches uh, on center. And it's like, well, go ahead, try it. Let your truth reign supreme. We'll see how long your house stands, right? Reality comes in and crushes it. At any rate, yes, you're quite right. This, the Christian walk, though saved, is one of a battle between the body and the mind. This is not a, you know, your experience. And my experience certainly isn't unique. Just read Romans 7. Even Paul, who was probably one of, if not the most sanctified men, uh, in history, right? If he is one of the one of the individuals who walked closest with the Lord uh, during his time on earth, struggles with the same problem where he goes, I have all of these thoughts in my head that I know are righteous. They're right. My, my head, my spirit, my mind wants to follow Christ and it wants to obey his commands. But then I have a problem because my body, this decaying and corrupted body, does not want to follow Christ and his commands. It wants to do its own thing. It wants to be ruler. And so says Paul, I live in this sort of civil war where my spirit and my mind following Christ has to battle every single day against my body that doesn't want to follow Christ. And so he says, I'm, I'm kind of locked in this perpetual war that's going to continue until you know, my body dies and then I'm, I'm resurrected with a new body, which will come under perfect submission to Christ, right? This is what Peter says, first Peter five, uh, what is it? You know, eight and nine, I think. Yeah. First Peter five, eight, and nine says, humble yourselves, therefore under God's mighty hand, submit yourself 
right? Under God's mighty hand so that he can lift you up in due time, right? Mm -hmm. Cast all your burdens upon him. It's actually, it's good to be submitting to Christ because then of course we're able to carry out the task which we've been given. But at any rate, it's a Christian ought to expect resistance from the body to the gospel. If he doesn't have any, then there's something wrong, right? Something's, something's a mess. And the way the body works is, okay, so God gives us a law. Let's use the Ten Commandments, for example, right? Ten Commandments say what? You know, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't steal, don't covet, don't do all of these things and do certain other things. So Paul says those are good. The law itself is good because it tells me what I should do. And it describes for me a picture of who Christ is. Great. He says, but the body, then seeing that law, that Ten Commandments, for example, goes, oh, because I'm told what to do by God, I now know, as one who's in rebellion against God, exactly what not to do. So the law tells me to not steal. I'm going to steal because it's wrong and I do what I want. The law tells me to not covet. I'm going to covet because that's what the law tells me not to do. The law says you shall not commit adultery. I'm going to look at someone lustfully because that's what the law tells me not to do and so on and so on. So yes, there is a perpetual civil war happening in the Christian being and it will continue until the new body is resurrected let so we have a war within ourselves yes now there's the spiritual war the political war mm. um did you know like right out of the gates in 2020 that there was something fishy going on and is that because you are deeply connected spiritually oh well Yes, I started making videos on the dangers of what was happening quite soon. You know, if you if anyone can look at my content to see, I don't remember when I actually started the page, but it was right after the lockdowns began. You knew something sinister was was happening. The Christian is given, not by his own merit, but again by the Lord Jesus, a, a spirit of discernment. There are things which cannot be seen except through the eyes of Christ. Salvation itself is only revealed to us by God, by the Lord Jesus. And so when a man is, well, when he one believes in Christ and is given this renewed vision through the Holy Spirit, or a new vision through the Holy Spirit is more accurate. And as he's reading scripture, knowing that it's the foundation of truth, yes, things which, which might not be immediately apparent to anyone else should be and will be apparent to the Christian, precisely because it's not his own revelation. It's not his own um, wisdom that's guiding him. Instead, it's the wisdom of the cross. It's the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. It's the wisdom of Christ that's doing so. That's a good question. So why are so many Christians oblivious right now? Yes, you know, churches that, oh. shutting down, masking all the people, treating each other horrifically i've been treated so mm -hmm. terrible mm -hmm. in my community church like church people as well why why don't they have this inner knowing yes oh that's a brilliant question it's a that's a wonderful question because i've asked it the same thing you know in my travels across the province i'm often in different towns uh, on the weekend you know i'm often down south or up north or somewhere in central um staying for the weekend and so you know you'll look for different churches then if you're there on a sunday just to see what there is but inevitably especially during the lockdowns so few of them were open now in large part this has to do with huh, there are numerous factors for this first 
the Western church is weak. It's, mm -hmm. it's inexcusably weak, right? Uh, Christians have become uh, uh, complacent, you know, desperately complacent. It's uh, gracefully complacent is a more accurate term. And the actual spiritual thermometer of the churches is cold and dark. Pastors don't preach the scripture anymore, instead preferring to preach some sort of prosperity gospel or some sort of gospel of Christ is full of love and peace, and he has, or, which is true, but he has no other side to him. There is no justice. There is no wrath of Christ. There is no, um, you know, absolute guarantee that evil will be totally defeated. They never preach on those things which are true. They prefer instead to talk about the fruits of the Spirit or some other, uh, what would be the word? some other passage which isn't which isn't um contradictory to the current state of the world which doesn't which doesn't ruffle the feathers of the world in some abject desire to quote unquote keep peace in the church and so the churches themselves right now are filled with very weak individuals who do not study the gospel as it's meant to be studied Pastors are are the leading cause of this. The Canadian church in particular has perhaps mm -hmm. some of the weakest pastors in the world. And I, you know, mean that honestly. They don't preach the full gospel and their convictions aren't pre or aren't to preach the gospel mm -hmm. of Christ. Again, preferring instead to satisfy their own desires in their heart. So that's that's the first issue, right? Even with the churches locking down, so much of that is on the boards of the church and the pastors because they're the ones who made the decision. They're the ones who were happy to see their doors closed, which was an absolute disgrace. They were the ones who said, who completely misinterpreted the scriptures and said, well, we have to obey everything government does and then closed their doors. So firstly, the church is weak, right? This is an issue. Secondly, to be entirely honest, it's prophesied. Right. We were talking about this for a moment before with Paul and Timothy. He's writing to Timothy and he says, you know, Christ is coming back. And the closer we get to his return, the more the church is going to atrophy, right? The weaker the church is going to be, the more it's going to be like the world. This is almost, not almost, this is expected for the church and Christians to be in this place of complete complacency because that's what Paul has prophesied is going to happen before Christ returns to set up his new kingdom and why has the church atrophied why has it become like this well all we have to do is read the first few chapters of revelation where jesus speaking through john in a vision gives seven churches letters about how they're doing and five out of the seven churches get scathing reviews right <laughs> christ is not impressed right he says you've lost your first love to some of you Others are lukewarm. You're in Laod this church is called Laodicea. He says, you're lukewarm. It's disgusting. I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth because you know you don't really love me. You don't really hate me. You don't really follow me, but you don't also directly rebel against me. You're just kind of this lukewarm, tepid, temperate soup of Christianity. And it's awful. So the same things that happened back then in John's day to those churches, right? Falling away from a first love falling away from reading scripture every day, follow, uh, falling away from a, a submission to Christ, and so on and so on, though those individuals still went to church, led to the church's destruction. So mm -hmm. all that to say, all that to say, our eyes are not fixed on the church. 
as Christians, our eyes aren't fixed on other Christians. Our eyes are fixed solely on Christ, on Jesus. That's the one we follow. He's the man we follow. And it might be that every other Christian in every other church is preaching against us. But if we know that Christ has given us a command, if we can read it in Scripture, then everyone else is wrong, and we have to continue on the way that we're going. Hmm. Like what Pastor Arthur was doing, no matter what, preaching in the streets, even at the risk of being arrested and thrown in solitary confinement for an endless period of time, he was vilified by a lot of the churches, but that was the right thing to do at that, that time. Have to preach, have to preach. The churches that the churches that closed down in, in abject obedience to government, even though the government's commands were unjust, for the church itself was an unjust action that wasn't right. It isn't right. It wasn't right in any capacity for them to close the doors as they did. And yet, if it meant that people who were in, uh, you know, a church that, that was full of apostasy left and didn't come back, then fine, so be it. There's a hidden blessing there, right? Mm -hmm. If people were in a church that wasn't preaching truth and then in their cowardice closed down, to completely obey these ridiculous laws of government, which were totally unjust. And mm -hmm. as a consequence, people didn't return, then great. Mm -hmm. Good. <laughs> there's, yeah. a, there's a hidden blessing even in the evil. Let's, let's talk about money because mm. you are an economist yeah. um, and you practice Austrian economics, which yeah. I only started learning about when I started exploring cryptocurrency. Um, for those that aren't aware of the different what what is Austrian economics compared to the style of economics that people normally learn in university or are there are there a lot of different ways so because I, I know Austrian economics is kind of against the grain uh, maybe you can just start by explaining that um, and and why that is your chosen uh, route here sure well I I'm a um, proponent or I believe in a lot of Austrian economic theory, because my argument is that it most closely resembles the truths which are which are taught in scripture, or maybe to be more accurate, that style of economics allows the truths which are taught in scripture to be materialized in the world most easily. So Austrian economics fundamentally is about spontaneity. It says humans, people are are rational actors in this world. And through their actions, spontaneous order occurs in the world. I read one time a description about um, people walking across a sidewalk and there's a big uh, tract of snow in the way, you know, the sidewalk is full of snow. And so one person trudges through the snow first. And then the second person, not being told what to do, trudges through those same tracks because he's acting in his or her self-interest. He doesn't want to get his shoes or her shoes dirty. And then a third person does so, follows in the tracks, and a fourth and a fifth, until you've eventually, by pure spontaneous order, created this path where people can walk without getting their shoes wet. There's still snow on either side of the sidewalk, but the path itself is now packed with snow because people are acting in their own self-interest. And so Austrian economics says... We have all of these other apparatuses in the world that tell people what to do. Government loves, for example, to tell people what to do. They love to try and bring order through all of their actions. At least that's what they 
publicly claim to do. My argument is that government wants to create chaos. But at any rate, they say they love to create order. But the Austrian economist says, no, let individuals create order on their own. Through their spontaneous action, order will be created. They don't need to be moved like puppets, right, by governments. They don't need to be organized by Stalin, by Karl Marx, by this communist idea of let's tell everyone exactly what to do so that we can best allocate our resources in the economy. Instead, people will do that on their own through the, through the miracle of the market. So on one hand, you have Austrian economics that says, let people basically live their lives. Let them do what's best for their family. Let them serve their own interests so long as they're in line with law. And then through that, the society will achieve economically a foundational, spontaneous, free order that is better than something like Keynesian economics or big government economics that says government has to involve itself in every little aspect of life so that it can fine tune the economy to best uh, to create a reality which uh, is best for all citizens, right? We've tried that in history before. It doesn't work. Uh, the exact opposite happens. So you have simply as Austrian as small government, very little involvement in people's lives. Keynesian economics, other forms of economics are larger government, more involvement in people's lives. So the government right now is growing in size exponentially and mm -hmm. trying to take as much power back as, as humanly possible to the point that we're even talking about 15-minute cities now. Mm -hmm. um, so they're growing bigger. They're giving themselves more power. Uh, what is the economic state of Canada right now? Are they, right. are they doing a good job? Right. Well... <laughs> The government's doing a good job if their if their goal is to completely uh, force Canadians into poverty, right? If the goal of government is to force Canadians into a dependency on the federal government, then the federal government's um, strategy, their economic policies are working perfectly because that's exactly what's happening. If the goal of government is to free up Canadian citizens, if their goal is to make Canadian citizens as well off as possible, if their goal is to see economic flourishing in this country, then their economic report card is an F. They're doing very poorly because that isn't what's happening. The opposite is occurring. Now, my opinion, and I think others agree, is that this government does not want to see the flourishing of Canadians. It does not want to see uh, a free economy for Canadians. It does not want to see a father and a mother uh, easily providing for their children in a healthy economy. Instead, it wants to see Canadians desperate. This government wants to see Canadians dependent. This government wants all men and all women, women crawling to them for help, asking for a loaf of bread, because the power that is granted to them, to the federal government, when they economically control a family, is so much greater than if they were to exercise power, say, through rolling a tank, through a city or a town. So mm -hmm. from our perspective, the economics are very desperate right now. The economics are very bad. The government is very bad. And their their objective is not to is not to pursue um proper a uh, proper economics, but rather to make everyone, all Canadians, totally in debt to the government. I agree. I used to think it was incompetence, but yes. I don't 
I don't think that they're incompetent at all. I think it's working exactly as as they plan, mm-hmm. which is why, you know, my work involves teaching people how to make more money because mm. money is how you just very practically take your power back um, with this totalitarian creep. Like we can we can talk about uh, what's going on politically. We can shed light on these issues all we want and we should, and we should be involved in, in politics and in our local communities. But at the end of the day, um, we are all in a position where it's not a luxury to make more money. It's not a luxury to have additional streams of revenue. It's an absolute must. Uh, You know, we have nurses in Canada living in their cars. Um, I have an 11 year old and a 14 year old and they're they're normal kids, normal teenagers don't love school, don't really like don't have this passion for like excelling in mathematics right now. And I'm trying to tell them, and I don't want to put my fears of the world on them, but you don't have a choice but to excel right now. You have to excel. You're going to have to become an entrepreneur. You're you're going to have to find something that really lights you up and that you make good money at it just to be able to maybe have a house one day. Yes, absolutely. It's... um... Oh, it's such a well, it's such a tragedy what's happening in this country, because as you mentioned, so many people are finding it totally on. We can't afford to live and we can't afford to die right now. It's we're in this state of paradox where government has generated such a devastating economic culture in the country that people are struggling to pay their mortgages. They're struggling to pay for their vehicles. They're struggling to pay for fuel. They're struggling to pay for groceries. They're struggling to provide for their children and so on and so on and so on. It's it's devastating, but that's exactly the way government wants it. You're absolutely correct. It's not incompetency. Government is perfectly, in this instance, competent. They know exactly what they want, which is to completely destroy Canada and to make every Canadian subservient to government. And to that end, they are charging forward very quickly with great efficiency and speed to see that it happens sooner rather than later. Where do you think this goes? Is this just about the Canadian government wanting more power and that's where it stops? Or do you believe in like the Great Reset and 15-minute cities? Like where where do you think this ends? Ah, well, um, so you read the scriptures. You read the scriptures of Daniel. You read the scriptures of Revelation. You read the scriptures of Second Thessalonians. You read the scriptures of Isaiah. This is all over the scripture. And you read about the end. That is the time before Christ comes. And so there's coming a time here before Christ comes when the world is going to be transformed once more into a Babylon, a one world government, a one world order. Again, this is prophesied time and time and time again. It happened at the start of the world with the Tower of Babel. And it's going to it's going to happen again. There is going to be a one world government coming quickly. I have absolutely no doubt about that. I have no doubt that Trudeau's plan is to try and hurry that along, right? By completely flooding the nation with a variety of new individuals from a variety of different locations. Trudeau is trying to make Canada into a microcosm of the world without borders, without distinction, without separation, so that this new um, Babylon, yeah, um, is introduced so much easier, so much easier to swallow. Now, in this new order that's coming, call it Great Reset, call it what you will, whatever it might be, 
there is going to be a dictator. Of course, there has to be a dictator. There always is. Now, the Christians call him Antichrist, right? He's called the beast. Uh, Daniel calls him, yeah, this this um, great dictator. John calls him Antichrist. Paul calls him the lawless one. It's this final ruler of the world. So here's my hypothesis, or one of my hypotheses. We know that Trudeau and others like him, Macron and Sunak and Biden and so on, are all directly opposed to Christ. That is self-evident. That much is clear. So what if the plan is to create as much chaos in the world as possible, to make people struggle as much as possible, to make them as dependent on government and on, you know, um, the state as possible, to crush them in every single way? What if that's the goal of those individuals so that when this final dictator rises, all he has to say is, let's put Trudeau in prison for treason. Let's try Joe Biden for all of his crimes. Let's free you up from the control of Rishi Sunak and all of the chaos that he's created. Let's do this and that and the other thing to restore order and freedom into the world. All of your leaders are corrupt. All of your political officials are plunged into this swamp of of moral filth. Let's completely get rid of them because they're so bad and start all over again with with a structure that's founded on on order and freedom and justice and prosperity and free markets and so on and so on. That's someone that I would flock to, right? Because we know the, that the scriptures say, Christ says that, uh, or the scriptures say that, that this dictator will be so alluring that even the elect, even the Christians, if they weren't protected from it, will be drawn to this man. Even those who are searching for truth, who earnestly desire a freedom from Trudeau and so on, will be drawn to this dictator, precisely because um, he's going to be, like you mentioned at the start, this figure of light, right? He's going to be this perfect deceiver, so perfect in his deception that only God himself could be um, could be uh, not rescued from it, but could see through it, so to say. So that's just, it might not happen like that. That's a hypothesis, but that's my conviction because that's the scripture's conviction. There's a book called The Great Controversy. Uh, mm. A homeless lady gave it to me on, on the street and I read it and I have a wild story around that, but it talks about it this, uh, this imposter being within the Catholic church. Ah, sure. Wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't surprise me. Christianity is not Catholicism. They they are totally two separate things. For the Pope to to preach that he is the vicar of Christ is is total sacrilege. The entire Catholic Church, as it stands after, especially after the Council of Trent, is directly opposed to the Lord Jesus. Christians are not are not serious enough about that. They are not. Um, they do not oppose the Catholic Church with enough fervency. They are, they do, the Christianity, the truths of Christ, the scripture and the Catholic church do not harmonize. They do not harmonize. Yeah. It's never sat right with me. The strength and like I, one, I, I don't think it's bad for people to have money and power, mm -hmm. but the Catholic church, that seems to be what is leading them. Uh, Jesus is secondary. My my kids are in a Catholic church right now. It, it's a joke. There, there's no faith anywhere actually in mm -hmm. in the church. Um, what was I going to say there? I'm losing my train of thought. But yeah, there, there's something that doesn't sit 
right you there there's a man between you and god you ask a man yes. for forgiveness instead yes. of god so there, there yes. is that yeah and yep. we go to i don't particularly think denominations matter mm. um we go to a, a baptist church and it's very mm -hmm. humble Mm -hmm. And I remember the collection plate going around and my 14 year old said, oh, I see how this works, right? He's getting all this money. And I was like, no, honey, he lives off of donations. Like he has donated clothes. He's from Brazil. Uh, the church has very little money. Like we should be giving to the church, but the minister is not ordained and like dripping with gold. <laughs> you know, it's very, yes, that's, yes. very, very humble. Yes, precisely. They're, um, yeah, the Pope and so on are so pharisaical, right? It's just the Pharisees carried on into a into a new light. They're under their um, uh, Eucharist, for example, where they believe that that the blood and body of Christ are literally miraculously transferred to the person when they partake, isn't correct because that crucifies Christ over and over again. Christ's first and only death and resurrection is sufficient, totally sufficient. For salvation to crucify him again and again and again like that is wrong you you know it's you're you're absolutely correct it's uh yeah the catholic church follows a man who's not christ right whereas the church follows christ christ is the head of the church that's what that's what paul says in colossians 1 15 to 18 not the pope so what's a christian to think about money because this is something i grapple with a lot mm -hmm. i have a drive within me to be successful not for money's sake um i have a drive to bring things to life you know like these are the gifts that i've been giving i can't not bring things to life i can't not create things it's it's definitely a passion of mine and practically in this world, in order to live, in order to get our freedom back, we need to have money. So how does a Christian rectify the need to create money, but also um, not, not leading with it? This is something that I really, really grapple with because I feel like I wouldn't have been given these gifts. I feel like I'm meant to put them forward and, and the way that I, rectify it is never to lead with money i don't lead with the desire to make money i lead with the desire to create things that help people the side effect is money and i try and teach other people to do the same when you're creating a business lead with purpose lead yeah. with service lead with contribution the money is the side effect it's okay to be paid well for the things that you're doing um but that's like that's the dance in my head what are what are your thoughts on creating money on being prosperous yet you know the jesus was poor and the bible tells us to be humble and that we should give everything away because personally i'm not at the stage where i can give every like where i can stop what i'm doing i don't think i'm supposed to stop what i'm doing what are your thoughts on that right yeah so what do the scriptures say well money's not evil in itself the love of money is evil that much is true but money itself isn't evil um so as an economist and as a christian we clearly we need money absolutely you know and, and too often christians are very bad with their <laughs> with their money they're not very good with money or many of them anyways to be entirely honest um what is money well when you think about it money is just a physical a physical representation 
of the value that you've created with your time. So the richer a man is, so long as he's acquired his money legally, the richer a man is, the more society values his worldly contributions to society, right? The richer a man is, the more society values what he's doing with his time. So a successful entrepreneur, right, who creates a microphone like this might be very rich because I, as a, as a commentator, value this microphone and my audience or your audience values this microphone because that way they're able to listen to what I say or what you say or what others say clearly. And so I give that man who created this some money saying, I value your time. I value what you've done, what you've created here. Take this to uh, exchange this microphone, what you've done with your time for um, so that I can so that I can use it. So that in itself certainly isn't sinful, right? There's nothing wrong with that at all. Absolutely not. No, no. But this new age prosperity gospel is sinful. There is nothing in the scripture that says believe in Christ and you'll be rich. Right. There is absolutely nothing that says believe in the Lord and you'll never have a financial worry in the world, or at least you'll never be uh, broke. Right. That is pure and utter nonsense. What does James say in James 1 9 to 11? He says, Let the rich man, or let the, sorry, excuse me, let the poor man boast in his exaltation and let the rich man boast in his humiliation, which is a strange thing to say. Why? The rich man isn't humiliated. It's the poor man who's humiliated, isn't it? But James says, No, no. Because the rich man is so busy pursuing money. He's so busy pursuing worldly praise and worldly value that he's going to completely fade away like a flower that's been scorched up by the sun. Whereas the poor man, even though he might not be materially as wealthy as the rich man, if he believes in Christ, is far richer than the worldly rich man because all of his treasure is stored up in heaven. So there's nothing wrong with having a drive. The contrary, I think Christians ought to have a drive. I think they ought to pursue excellence. I think they should be working their hardest uh, with the talents that the Lord has given them so that they might create something wonderful and something beautiful in this world. But to do all of those things purely for the love of money, right? For worldly recognition, for a feeling of, of security in your wealth, that leads to death. That is evil because it means a man doesn't place his faith in Christ. That's why Christ gives the commandment to that young rich ruler, go and give away all of your things and come follow me, right? Not that Jesus was a socialist. No, no, right? It wasn't that Jesus said, if you're a Christian, you have to give away everything. That's a must. That's not what he's saying. Instead, mm -hmm. he's saying, you, this particular ruler, are held hostage by all of your worldly wealth. You have all of your faith in it. You love it. You love it so much. If you really love me, you'll get rid of it so that you can follow me properly. That is so that you can actually follow me. And of course, the young ruler doesn't do that because he cares more for his worldly wealth than he does for his salvation. And so you can have rich Christians or rich believers like Abraham or David mm -hmm. or, or new members of the church. And you can have Poor ones, of course. The point remains, whether rich or poor in this world, store up your treasures in heaven with Christ, and so you'll be richer than any man, you know, even the greatest billionaire, even the greatest king who's ever who's ever walked the earth. That feels good to me. 
it, it, it's, it just speaks to non-attachment. Um, and like you said, leading, leading with purpose and what's most important. Um, one thing that I've been talking about a lot is distraction. So I, I have mm. a digital business. It's very, very mm. distracting. Yeah. And, you know, people talk about the scroll holes and I've been caught in that. And it feels like something has come over you and you're like, I want to stop doing this. Yeah. I want to get out of here. And you can't. And it doesn't even feel good. And you can't. And I've started labeling that as evil because what i've realized in my own business is that it all work can be really addicting chasing money can be addicting yeah. uh yeah. achievement can be yeah. addicting and i am being called more and more to just really put some strict boundaries in place um and find more peace in the present moment i'm, I'm a mother too so making sure mm -hmm. i have boundaries sh shutting down work when i need to uh, you know, going to church on Sundays, not working, um, not being, it's its easy for me to get addicted to the busyness of mm -hmm. work, not so much the chasing money, but the, the busyness of work. I feel like that's where the devil gets me. Um, that's where I, I'm pulled. So the more that I can be boundaried and just being present in what I'm here to do, it also makes me a better entrepreneur as well, because I spend my time doing efficient tasks in my business that actually help people and help grow this, not just the busyness of being in the digital space. So yeah, that that's something that feels good. Um, I think Jordan Peterson said at the Tucker Carlson event, to those who much have been given, much will be expected. So if you are lucky enough to be blessed with not only the, the motivation, but prosperity, be expected to use that in a, in a generous way. Yes. Now, with Peterson's comments, scripturally, of course, what does it mean even scripturally? Who's been given the most in this world? Right? We might say, well, yeah, who's a great billionaire? Musk, right? Musk has been given the most. He has all this money. Or Trump has all this money. Or Kevin O'Leary has all this money, right? They've been given the most. And so from them, much will be required. But as a matter of fact, right, the beggar on the street who believes in Christ has much more than Kevin O'Leary who doesn't believe in Christ. And so when you take that passage and apply it to the Christian life, to whom much has been given, much will be required. It's true in that sense with money, of course, right? If a man is rich, he is expected Christian uh, um, uh, from Christ to use that to further the Lord's kingdom, right? What does, what does John say in his first, second, and third books, right? He says, how is it possible that a man who has an exceptional number of worldly goods can claim to be a Christian when he sees his brother or sister in need and yet doesn't help them, even though he has an excess of, of wealth. At any rate, there's that aspect to it. You're quite correct. But there's also the aspect of you and I have been given the gift of salvation. Christ has literally, literally given us eternal life in heaven where there's no pain or death or mourning or suffering, any of those things, according to Revelation 21.4. So we have far and away the greatest gift and the richest gift that has ever been offered to any man or woman in history. It's therefore our responsibility and our command to use that gift and this knowledge which we've been given to tell as many others as possible about it because we've been given so much and so very much will be required in return. There is nothing more dangerous than a Christian who becomes saved and then spends the rest of his life at home not telling a soul about his Christianity, not telling a soul about his salvation. 
Instead, he has an obligation because he's been given so much um, mm-hmm. to tell as many people as possible about this great gift. That's why more and more I'm weaving this content into everything yes. that I do, especially the bigger my platform grows, yep. the more I'm being called to talk about this. Not not as if I'm I'm speaking from like the podium, mm-hmm. but every now and then just like a touch point so that people know exactly where I stand, even at the risk of upsetting people or people leaving my space. It doesn't matter because I'm realizing too, like the success in my business, uh, it's not just from me. <laughs> yeah, it's that's not exactly just, right. I didn't that's just right. myself here. Yeah. Yes. And what does Paul say? Our aim is not to please man. We don't serve yeah. men. Our only aim is to please Christ, is to serve Christ, is to do as he commands. Right? There's a one of my favorite verses is uh, 1 Corinthians. Um, It's either 1 Corinthians 3, 4 to 5 or 1 Corinthians 4, 4 to 5. Um, one of the, anyways, Paul says, I care very little what you, he's talking to people, or any human court thinks about me. He says, I couldn't give a rip. That doesn't concern me in the slightest. My only aim, he says, is to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. It's 1 Corinthians 4. That's what it is. He says, my only aim is to serve Christ and Christ alone. That's it. That's all. So it might be that you hate me. Couldn't care. He says, it might be that you call me a fraud. Not my problem. You might try to, you know, um, launch every missile and attack you can against me. That doesn't concern me in the slightest. I'm not going to waste my time with that. Instead, my concern is with serving Christ. It's a wonderful freedom. Which, when you think about what's happening in the financial sector, um, it's going to be harder and harder for people to speak their truth. Like the reason I make my own money, the reason we live really we have our own food we hunt and fish for our own food we have our gardens um i'm a big proponent of gold and silver and mm-hmm. freedom systems that allow us to take our money out of the bank um because i can say whatever i want right now mm-hmm. i have this podcast i have this platform um i i am in danger you know if these systems do fully materialize i i am in danger i might be taken down but in the meantime i i don't have a boss no one can tell me not to say something that creates more freedom for me to do the kind of work that I do. And I don't think people understand really where this goes um, because they're compa- Canadians are nice people. They're yeah. as well are, are very nice people and their compassion has been weaponized. So while I do believe in social support programs, there are many people that very much need social support programs. I am not in favor of universal basic income because I know it's going to be tied to a social credit system. The Bible talks about the mark of the beast in the in the yeah. wrist. We're actually doing that. Amazon has that. People scanning their credit cards in their wrist. If that doesn't wake you up, I don't I don't know what will. And people don't understand like a social credit system plus UBI plus digital currency. Um, you will be completely under the hand of the government and if people don't think that um i mean we know exactly what will happen with ubi it's not just going to be the people that need it most people will stop working because that's what happens under socialist financial systems right we saw that with serb you gave people only two thousand dollars and they all quit like we we not alberta alberta seems to be pretty booming i'm in ontario the amount Mm -hmm. of 
uh, businesses that can't find employees, everyone stopped working. Everyone became complacent. Why even try? The government's just going to pay me. This is where we're uh -huh. headed. Yeah, absolutely it is. Oh, yes, that's a, uh, yes, a fundamental tenet of socialism is have the people depend on you fully. <laughs> absolutely. That's the entire objective of socialism because it gives you so much power. So if you let a man collect, right, a universal basic income, even if he doesn't work, then he depends on you totally. In essence, the government becomes his employer. Now, he doesn't really do much to earn his paycheck, his wage, but he still gets paid nonetheless. And so it's in his self-interest, at least in his own mind, in that particular instance, to obey what government tells him to obey, to do what government tells him to do, so that he will continue receiving his benefit checks for doing nothing. Mm -hmm. And then people stop trying <laughs> under the system. Yes. Yes. I think also people don't know where money comes from. You know, when no. you have people that support the NDP or yeah. the NDP Liberal Socialist Coalition, they, they cheer on these programs because they think it's a bottomless pit. And they don't realize that the money just comes, it comes from us. And then if I, like, I just got to a new income bracket in my business and already I'm like, why did I do that? Now I'm just going to have to pay more. <laughs> why yeah. excel? Why it's achieve true. more if they're just yes. going to take it? Yeah. It's a good, that's another good question. Yes. We live in a country here where we're punished for succeeding. It's true. You are, yeah. you are penalized for, for, uh, succeeding and for achieving, achieving, you know, great success in mm -hmm. your business. You're right. People don't know where money comes from. It's true, right? You're also correct in saying it comes from you and I, it's true that government prints it, right? And mm -hmm. only government can print it or the bank of Canada prints it, but someone has to pay for that printing. Someone has to uh, bear the cost. And it is you and I in a variety of different ways. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. If we, if, if we want to actually release ourselves from the mess that we're in right now, economically, financially, one of the first things to do, if not the first thing to do is to demand the bank of Canada, stop printing money. Government needs to stop printing money. It's a must, right? It's an absolute must. It's the only way to cure inflation. It's to stop uh, printing money so that there's that there aren't so many dollars floating around in the economy. They don't even know how those dollars are are spent here either. Yes. Like the amount yeah. of organizations that get obscene amounts of money, and there is no, you know, record keeping of of None. where it's going. No, that's right. None. It's it's corrupt. It's to be expected from government, but it's yes, it's an it's entirely corrupt. Right. I know of of many stories where um, uh, nonprofits or, or government um, organizations have a budget. And if they don't spend the budget, they lose the budget for an extra part of it. So they just spend on wasteful things. They spend on nonsensical things, right? It's a disgrace how money is wasted in this country with bureaucratic organizations when we have fathers and mothers working you know, three jobs to just try, barely feed their mm -hmm. children. It's asinine what government is doing their waste and their refusal to be held accountable for what they spend on and how they spend their their uh, it's not their money it's your money but how they spend your money is wrong it's absolutely wrong and what's really scary to me is they um are grooming our children yeah to think 
that the communist utopia is is a thing it's possible we have we have a i call it western privilege here a not only have most people never read history books about the history of communism and stalin and marxism everybody starves to death is what happens um, but if they do have any knowledge of it, they think, well, it'll be different this time because we in the West are good people and it would never, it, it would never turn out badly. But there was a university professor that was explaining like how communism works. Everybody got their exam grade back and he said, okay, we're going to grade things a little bit differently now. Now you're all, we're, we're going to change like the average mark and you're all going to get the same mark, like regardless. So what ended up happening the next time is the kids that studied really, really hard started studying less and the kids that were already underperforming, like continue to underperform when it doesn't matter what you do, uh, everybody start, stops trying and everything falls apart. And it's never true that we're equal um it just means that there is more top-down control of a smaller group of people and because human beings are by their nature sinful corrupt someone's going to take a hold of that system um as opposed to capitalism which has its faults for sure greed because for the exact same reasons hum humans have sin um at least we all have a chance to succeed to thrive and we need to be different. Like this, this whole push on equity, human beings are not equal. We are all equal at a soul level. We're all equal under the eyes of God, but we are not equal. Some of us are smarter. Some of us are more motivated. Some of us are more disciplined. Some of us are just naturally skilled at certain things. And we need to actually encourage the fact that there are people that are doing better because that's motivation for the bottom to actually try and do something. If we were all the same, what would be the point in trying with anything? And, and that's why at its core, communism crumples, fails. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Communism crumbles for a variety of reasons. You're absolutely correct. Of course, the first being that uh, people are treated equal where they're not equal, right? The only equality in communist nations is the equality of suffering and the mm -hmm. equality of death, right? There's only one time when men are perfectly equal again, and that's when they're perfectly dead. And so that's what that's what communism achieves. You look at Russia, you look at Moscow in the 70s, right? In the 60s and 70s, and everything's so boring. It's terrible. <laughs> Socialism is such a boring life because everything has to be exactly the same every single day. Because if it's not, all of the government calculations for how much each individual should receive, whether it's food or clothes or other supplies, is completely um, defeated. It's completely uh, dissolved. They don't know what to do. So government, in that case, a communist government, has to treat every individual like one homogenous unit. They have to treat every individual exactly the same. Like they have the same goods, the same needs, the same desires, the same preferences, which is so manifestly false, of course. Just look at your neighbor and see how different you are from him or her to understand why that's why that's why the government's ideal in that regard is wrong. But the communists, they treat everyone exactly the same so that they can give everyone the same thing in the same amount, because that way they can try and maybe create some calculations about how much bread to to hand out and how many blankets to allocate and how many pencils to give each family and so on and so on and so on it's a boring life where everything stays 
exactly the same. That is, of course, if you're alive, right? Because you look at the history of, com of communist nations, like you mentioned, and it's filled with blood and death. And that's it, right? It's filled with demonstrable suffering. It's filled with secret police. It's filled with tyranny. It's filled with the most undescribable or indescribable evil that humans in our natural state here can't even comprehend um, that that is regular everyday activity in those communist nations. And so we need what we need is a nation, of course, that's founded on Christian principles, that's founded on the Judeo-Christian worldview to guarantee freedom. And that economically is demonstrated most accurately, although it's not perfect, like you mentioned, because of greed and other issues through free market capitalism, not crony capitalism, right? Not big government capitalism that gives bailouts to big businesses and big car dealerships, but right. rather a free market system where people are rewarded for creating wealth and where they are punished for stealing or for acting immorally or uh, lazily and so on. Yeah. There's a really good book. I can't, the name of the author is skipping me right now, but um, it's saying whether you're a Christian or not, um, when the country was founded on Judeo-Christian principles, everyone is better off. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's, and again, history proves that. I have no doubt that Trudeau's diversity or his diverse objective is meant to completely dissolve Canada. What I mean by that is this. We are right now harboring in this country how many different cultures and ideals that are, di that are directly contrary to judeo-christian principles which the country was founded on so we can compare it to a team of horses suppose you have a team of horses pulling a plow if you hitch them up in the same direction they pull the plow efficiently they pull it in the direction that the that the uh, farmer wants the horses to go and then of course it breaks the earth and it turns over the soil so that it can be ready or prepared for crop to be planted that's a good thing but suppose you had those team of horses and hitched them up in opposite directions. You hitched one up facing north and one facing south. And then the farmer said, pull, right? And of course the horses started to strain and they'd be pulling north, but they'd also be pulling south because you have them hitched up in different directions. And it's not like the plow would move, right? Even though the horses would be pulling their hardest, the plow would be totally stagnant. It wouldn't get anywhere because both horses would be struggling against each other. That's like this diversity uh, objective in the country right? Where now we have so many cultures and so many different beliefs about the world that don't harmonize with each other, that the whole country is pulling in different directions, right? Some people are pulling one way, others are pulling a different way, and still more are pulling in this direction and others in the opposite direction. And it means the country is stagnant. It's stuck in this uncertainty, which is exactly the way Trudeau wants it. Because he, of course, and his cackle and the wef and who and so on are unified they are pulling in one direction it's just that their goal is evil and so you're right we have to have a foundation of principles man can believe different things you know about about uh, different issues in the world of course but the foundational principles of the country have to be agreed upon by all that that much is clear and present rule of law <clears throat> rule yes. of law, basic economics um yeah. at least an agreement of morality. Uh, I was just listening to Zubi talk about uh, Dubai. So mm. multi multiculturalism works 
However, it only works if you are tethered by an agreed upon morality and economic system. So yeah. Dubai is a really successful multicultural society, but the rule of law is strong. You can't be on the street doing drugs. If you commit a crime, there are harsh punishments. So you can have all these different cultures, but they are tethered by some very, very basic morality and, and rules of law, something that Canada doesn't have at all anymore. It's completely lawless. You are 100% right that Trudeau is seeking chaos, not order. Uh, the rules that they're creating are nonsensical and are only aimed to hurt people, hurt children, whether that's made or free drugs for everyone. Um, like, I don't know how any rational person can look at any of the things that are being done in Canada right now and, and think it's for good. Yes. Oh, I agree. I don't. I, huh. Yeah, our government is more than just um, wrong, right? They're radically insane. I mean that. I wrote a new book called Kingdom of Cain, and it's about this. It's about the insanity of progressivism. Progressivism mm. isn't just incorrect, right? Mm. Progressivism is so contrary to reality, it denies reality, and it's therefore radically insane. It is The government has completely inverted uh, what's good. They've completely inverted what's right. They've completely inverted what's logical. And they've turned it upside down. It's just, there's a scripture, it's Isaiah 520. And he goes, woe to those who put good for evil and evil for good, who put dark for light and light for dark, bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter and so on. Isaiah seems to say or sees the same thing in his age, thousands of years ago that we're seeing today, a bureaucracy, a government, which is inverting everything so that they can achieve their objectives and ideals, even though to do so, is totally insane so just one more question if so if the pursuit of money isn't mm -hmm. bad it's good mm -hmm. to be successful we don't want to yeah. love money for money's sake yeah um and money makes you more powerful helps you take your freedom back what are your like top recommendations for someone in terms of money right now what should people be paying attention to what can they do to maintain integrity, to be a good person, but also take their power back by way of money? Ah, well, so your comment, your comment that, that money gives power is an interesting one because in the worldly view, that's quite correct, right? If the more money we have, the more we're, we're, the more we're able to do. So if mm -hmm. I'm rich, I can fly to the Caribbean or it's the Caribbean, whatever it is. You know, I can fly there at a moment's notice because I'm wealthy. I have the power to do so. Or I can influence big politicians because I have a lot of money. I can do so. So in that regard, it grants power. Now, Christ would say, be careful, though. He said, because while that might be true, um, money actually is a slavery. It takes away all your power because when a man right become, has so much money that, of course, he depends on it, then he is in, indebted to it. He has a servitude to it. And so all of his power, although he might think he has a lot of it because he exercises so much power with money is actually taken away. And instead he becomes like the rich ruler who is totally dependent on his worldly wealth and therefore is entirely powerless. So it's a paradox. It's a bit of a duality at any rate. Of course, we still have to be careful with money. Like you mentioned, the first thing I would do, although I'm not a financial advisor is read the richest man in Babylon. That's an old book. It's a short book, but it's a good book. And it clearly defines, in my opinion, the foundational principles that men and women should be following 
for finances. It's very easy. It's very simple read. It talks about saving. It talks about how to get out of debt. It's not some, you know, some new age idea about, you know, prosper and, and uh, believe in the Lord and you'll be wealthy. No, no. It's just a simple book that that lays out the foundations and the framework for financial, healthy financial um, principles, at least in my opinion. And then, of course, with regards to money itself, well, we have to push the government as hard as we can to make sure digital currency doesn't uh, mm -hmm. materialize in the country. That would be absolutely devastating because, again, of the control that mm -hmm. it would give government. It probably isn't a bad thing at the present time. Well, it never is, to be honest, to diversify. Um, you know, I think it would be very dangerous for a man to um, have all of his assets in just or all of his wealth and so on in one particular thing. That's just another basic financial principle. And mm -hmm. I would, um, above all, would simply be praying to the Lord for provision, right? We read the Psalms and what's a good one? Psalms 24 is a good one. That's, that's, or sorry, excuse me, Psalms 23 is a good one. That's a classic, right? Ye though I wander through the valley, the shadow of death, that one. But at the start of that psalm, the psalmist talks about how Almighty leads me beside green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. I'm this little sheep, and here he is, the shepherd, telling me exactly where to go, telling me exactly what to do. What I mean to say is Christ provides so if a man has belief in Christ, he need not worry about money in any capacity. He might not have as much as Trump, right? Or he might not be as wealthy as he wants to be. But we know that as Christians, we're led by a good shepherd. And what does a shepherd do? Well, he provides for his sheep. He makes sure his sheep have something to eat. He makes mm -hmm. sure his sheep have something to drink. He makes sure that all of their needs are totally provided for. And all the sheep have to do is follow the shepherd. That's it. As long as they follow the shepherd, they know they're protected. They know the shepherd is going to lead them where they have to be led. And they know that once they get to the pasture, they can begin to eat as the shepherd watches over them. And so that that would be my first and last piece of advice is follow Christ, believe in Christ, and all of those concerns about money will wash away. I love that. Yeah. You're, you're doing your best, but then you're letting go of the one being in, in control of any of yes. it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time here today. Um, I'll make sure to link your, your new novel and, uh, your show also in the, in the show notes, where's the uh, easiest place for people to find you in the meantime. Ah, uh, right now it's, so I have a website. It's just www.myfirstandlastname com and there i have all my contact info and i write articles and so on my biggest social media page is facebook um but lately i've been very censored and so i've moved a lot of that stuff to youtube and to um twitter again it's just my first and last name which is which is now growing and so honestly if you search up my name in some capacity i'll, I'll show up okay awesome i appreciate you um watch out for youtube too yes <laughs> yes <taking> <laughs> We'll do it as long as we can. I, I doubt it'll be very long, but we'll see. <laughs> oh, awesome. Thank you so much, Tanner. Perfect. Thank you. My pleasure. I had a lot of fun. You too. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. I hope you liked it. Let me know. Do you want to have Tanner back? Do you like these spiritual conversations? I do want to hear from you. I am going to continue to do them. <laughs> because <laughs> I think it's important and I have to stay true to me. 
Um, I will always continue to provide a plethora of content for you guys. I know that we don't all have the same religion. I understand that. Um, but that's okay. I am here to talk about the things that matter to me. And I know this does resonate with so many of you. So yeah, I'm, I'm curious if you like this, if you want to have Tanner back. Um, I feel like there's so many questions that I didn't ask him. So we might have to bring him back. I forgot to ask him about the CPP challenge as well in Alberta. So I feel like we got to bring him back just for that. On another note, if you like what we do here, please consider hitting the subscribe button, following along with the show, sharing this episode to your stories. It helps me a lot. Um, and if you are ready to take some serious action on your mindset, on your finances, on building a matrix-free life for yourself, I have options for you. You could work with us inside the Sovereign CEO. You could join my quarterly mastermind. The next round is going to start in April, or you can work with me one-to-one. You can see all options on my website, carlajoytreadway.com, or stay here for the podcast and soak up all the free information that you can. Okay, guys, thanks for listening to the show. Bye.